Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So my title today that I've been given uh, on the and there's a series here that they were saying is "What if believing God isn't crazy?" The famous Richard Dawkins said, "Faith." is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. And you would have heard quotes like that from Dawkins or the four four horsemen of the uh, New Atheism, as they call themselves. Um, This idea that belief in God is absolutely crazy. No one with a brain anymore thinks that you could believe in God. You can't, you can't believe in God and still be sort of an intellectual. We can't go to TCD for certain because that's, you, know, you, you might go to UCD, but not TCD, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so my point today, I was speaking there last week, so I do like those guys too. My, so I'm going to be arguing, well, I don't think it is crazy. I'm going to give you eight reasons why I don't think belief in God is crazy. I, if you're not a believer in God here today, first of all, Thanks for coming. We're delighted you come. We hope you ask the toughest questions of us and make us think. Um, but if you don't believe in God today, I don't expect to convert you today. Oh, now I believe. I heard my eight reasons. But I hope you'll see that it's not crazy to believe in God, which is the title of my talk. And I also want to kind of set up the rest of the week. I'm giving you eight things to think about. And at least three of these eight, if not four or five from the titles, are going to be covered in more depth. So if, you, if something piques your interest, then go to the other ones. So eight things I want you to debate. I want you to debate with me. I want you to disagree with me. I want you to push, uh, probe, and find holes in my arguments. And uh, as I said, we'll, we'll see where we go with questions at the end. So first one, I would argue, no, it's not crazy. One, statistics actually tell us that our world is becoming increasingly theistic. More and more people in our world today are believing that God. They do believe in God. So after a major study by the Pew Research Center, the Washington Post ran an article called The World is Expected to Become More Religious, Not Less. Jack Goldston, a professor of public policy at George Manson University, has quoted, sociologists jumped the gun when they said the growth of modernization would bring a growth in secularization and unbelief. This is not what we're seeing, he said. People need religion. In 1966, John Lennon, in his famous song, uh, you know, was asked about, you know, what if there's no heaven? And he said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about it. I'm right and will be proved right. Well, he's been proved wrong. In fact, the opposite is true. Christianity is exploding in sub-Saharan Africa, China, and Latin America. Belief in God makes sense to four out of five people in our world today. And will continue to do so for the foreseeable future, so the social scientists tell us. The statistics actually don't back up the question or the assumption that belief in God is crazy. Most people think, no, it's not. Now, the immediate question then is, from our Western liberal secularized view here in Dublin, well, why does belief in God still grow amid so much secular opposition? Some might say, well, the four out of five are less educated than us. Be careful if you think that. Or you might be blunt and go, no, they are just idiots. Be really careful if you think that. It's called imperialism. That we're right and you're wrong. So interestingly, we need to have a less disrespectful answer that we're right and you're wrong because we're cleverer than you. 
when four out of five people don't think belief in God is crazy. Sociologist Peter Berger and Gracie, Grace Davy report that most sociologists of religion now agree that the secularization thesis that religions decline as society becomes more modern has empirically been shown false. As I said, China, countries like China are exploding in, their, in, in, in people coming to the Christian faith. However, studies have shown and repeatedly show that inherited religion is in massive decline. Religion that you do not choose but you're born into because you know you're born in India, you're a Hindu, you're born in Norway, you're a Lutheran, you're born in Ireland, you're a Catholic. That kind of religion is radically on the decline. And belief in God in those places where you're enforced to or told to or born into. But religion that is chosen, belief in God that is subscribed to on personal faith is on radical increase. University professor of London, Eric Kaufman, a Canadian academic, secularist atheist. In his book, Shall the Religious Inherit the Earth, the famous quote from Jesus, speaks of a crisis of, the secular, of secularism and argues that the shrinkage in secularism and liberal religion is inevitable. And on the last page of his book, Shall the Religious Inherit the Earth, he answers with an unequivocal, yes, he's a secularist. And in an interview with the new humanist, Kaufman was asked whether secularism might need to turn the tide and do a better job of winning people over. And his, his answer, the new humanist, religion does provide that enchantment, that meaning and emotion. And in our current moment, we secularists lack that. So firstly, is belief in God crazy? Four out of five people in the world think no. Interesting. The evidence doesn't seem to think just on a sort of statistics that it's crazy. Secondly, we have to have an honest look at the nature and scope of science. You see, many pe secular people have and do argue for what you might call exclusive rationality. That is a belief that science is the only arbiter of what is real and factual, and that we shouldn't believe anything unless you can prove it decisively using em empirical observation. Everything that lies beyond the realm of science is unreliable human feeling and opinion. You know, belief in God is crazy, you can't prove it by science. However, this view of reason now has insurmountable problems. For one thing, it cannot meet its own standard. If you're asking me not to believe in something unless you can prove it empirically, what is the empirical proof for that proposition? The declaration that science is the only arbiter of truth in itself is not a scientific finding, it is a belief. Another problem is that very few of the convictions about truth can be proven scientifically. We might demonstrably be able to prove by rationality and science that substance X boils at temperature Y at elevation Z. We cannot prove by science what we believe about human justice, beauty, human rights, the dignity and worth of every human being. You can't prove that by science. If we use the same standard of evidence on other beliefs, that many secular people use to reject belief in God, no one will be able to justify much about anything. So either we need to stop talking about human rights and justice and good and evil at all, because we can't prove them by science, or we need to stop demanding that belief in God requires a standard we don't ask for other things that we believe in. Additionally, while science is a wonderful endeavor, a fantastic endeavor, I'm so grateful for the advances of science and brilliant scientists, and I live in 21st century Dublin, and we have all the benefits of it, it still has a very limited scope. Sir Peter Medawar, a self-confessed rationalist, 
So an atheist, Oxford immunologist, won the Nobel Prize for medicine for his discovery of acquired immunological tolerance. Put it like this. Science is incomparably the most successful enterprise human beings have ever engaged upon. But he concludes that there is indeed a limit upon science is made very likely by the existence of questions that science cannot answer and no conceivable advance of science would empower it to answer. I have in mind such questions as, how did everything begin? What are we all here for? What is the point of living? So science is wonderful, but it will never become the theory of everything. Third, it can't. Thirdly, we have an awareness of something missing. A popular book that's recently reflected this is called When Breath Becomes Air. It's a reflections of a young uh, neuroscientist and uh, a, a deceased neuroscientist who wrote about his journey back to faith as he was dying of cancer. Paul Kalanithi was an ironclad atheist. His primary charge against Christianity was, I quote, its failure on empirical grounds. Surely enlightened reason offers a more coherent cosmos and material concept of reality and ultimately scientific worldview. The problem with the whole concept became evident to him. If everything had to have a scientific explanation and proof, then this is to banish not only God from the world, but also love, hate, meaning. A world that is self-evidently not the world we live in, he came to realise. All science can do, Kalanithi argues, is reduce phenomena into manageable units. It can make claims about matter and energy, but about nothing else. It's the same point as Peter Medawar. For example, science can explain love and meaning as a chemical response in the brain that helped your ancestors survive. But if we assert, which I think everyone does, that love and meaning and morality does not just feel real to help us survive, but it is real, then how did you get there? So he concluded, scientific knowledge is inapplicable to the central aspects of human life, including love, hope, beauty, honor, suffering, and virtue. So he says, we have this awareness that something's missing that we don't have answers to. The, th the fourth point, and some of these points are linked, I, I appreciate that, is that we have a pursuit of satisfaction we cannot attain. If you get rid of God, you have to get rid of this idea. Well, you know, we have, then you have to try and explain the pursuit for satisfaction that seems so elusive. Many people talk about a God-shaped hole. This is the pop legend Madonna. She says, I have an iron will, and of all my will has been always to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Because even though I'm, I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Now, I admire her humility and honesty. But C.S. Lewis put it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. Most people, if they had really learned to look at their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise when you first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up a subject, a TCD, that excites you, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. He goes on to say, I'm not speaking of what would be called ordinarily unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learning careers. I'm speaking about the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. The hotels and scenery maybe have been excellent. Chemistry or science may have been a very interesting job. 
but something has evaded us. Lewis, again, later in the book, says, creatures are, born with des- are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger? Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim? Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire? Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know this. I know it. Why do we have this desire for this world where we should be perfectly satisfied? How do you explain that? Lewis says, we're made for another world. Belief in God isn't crazy. God put eternity in our hearts. Fifthly, a nagging feeling that something is wrong with this world, it, it links on the negative side. I think this is a huge challenge for the person who is a secularist, who's given up belief in God. Like what, what is wrong with that world? If you believe we're just here by random chance, it's all you know, blind genetic replication, evolution is just the only thing we understand in this world, there's no hand of God or anything like that going on here, and therefore it's survival of the fittest and the strong eat the weak, why do you find the cruelty in this world so cruel? It's just normal. You shouldn't object to it. I was driving home from, my, from work with a friend of mine at work. He calls himself a Catholic atheist. I don't know if any of you are those. He says, I'm a Catholic. I'm an atheist, but I'm a Catholic one. And uh, he was driving home. He's, he obviously doesn't believe in all this. And, and he was giving me a tirade of questions that I believed in traditional doctrines from the Bible. And I believed in the Bible. And I believed in Jesus. And I believed in heaven and hell and all these things. And he's like, how can you, how can you believe in suffering? And off he goes. And we had a great discussion. I appreciate this, those discussions. And I said, I'll answer you that. I'll try and answer you those questions if you'll answer me one. What's wrong with the world? And he stopped and we drove. I said, no, what's wrong with the world? He goes, I don't know, I don't know, what, what, is, what is wrong with it? I said, are we lacking education? I mean, we're always at war, we've got these psychological problems, we've got all these people in counselling, like, there's a problem in our world, what is it? You know, and is it lack of technology, is it lack of, no, it can't be. But if you believe there is no God and you believe it's all by chance and the fittest survive, why do you find this world so cruel and harsh and random and unjust? It is just that. You shouldn't kick against that. But we know that earthquake, AIDS, homelessness, miscarriage, famines, babies dying, war, terrorism, paedophilia, murder, rape and injustice are wrong. Why? We imagine, we hope, we, we have in our mind I've got in my mind a world where there's no death, no disease, no marriage ever breaks down, no babies ever die. Have you ever had such a world? Have you ever experienced such a world? Where did that idea come from? It's like C.S. Lewis says, we're continually surprised at the wetness. It's like a fish being continually surprised by the wetness of the water. It's all you know. And yet, we're comparing this world to something we know, and I think it's because there is a greater world we're made for. This world isn't the perfect world, and I believe, that God made us to live in. It's been ruined by sin, and he's redeeming it, and one day we'll fully. The Christian worldview, the belief in God, makes sense, in my mind. It's not crazy. Sixthly, we have a moral compass that just won't go away. If we're just a decaying piece of matter in a dying universe, nothing more significant than that. Why do we care about morality? Why do I have to love you? Why do you have to love me? Should we just live selfishly and try and get away with it? How do beliefs in human freedom, human rights, uh, and, and equality arise from this, this idea that we're all just, it's all random, it's all meaningless? Russian philosopher Vladimir Solov, I can't pronounce his second name, sar- sarcastically summarized the ethical reasoning of secular humanists like this. Man descended from apes, 
therefore love one another. The second clause doesn't follow from the first. If it's natural for the strong to eat the weak in the past, why isn't it natural? Why don't we say it's okay now? How do you come up with morality? If there is no God, how do you come up with moral obligation? You might have moral feelings. You might say our ancestors had moral feelings because they helped them survive, and if they had that feeling of self-sacrifice. But it's very hard to get that. Why did they sacrifice themselves outside of their clan and outside of their family? Why do we admire that? Why do you get moral obligation? A secular worldview provides no basis. Belief in God does. Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying secular people are not more moral than believers. Absolutely. I'm saying the basis for morality. Seven, a fear of death that we cannot shake off. No one has put this better than the Russian novelist Tolstoy in his confession. Today or tomorrow, by the way, he was into beard before they were called on TCD. Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten. I shall not exist. Then why, why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all mere fraud and stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. He went on to say, my question was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It is the question without an answer to which one cannot live, as I found by experience. It was, what will come of what I'm doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Differently expressed, the question is, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It could also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Tolstoy was very rich, very famous. He had 14 children, he had a huge family around him. Ironically, he had kind of immortalized himself for those two famous books, War and Peace and Anna Canarina. Yet he feared death. He feared separate, even though this is all meaningless if I'm gonna die. And he's right. It is all meaningless if we're just going to die and you're wrong. Woody Allen put it like this. The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is that constant struggle against annihilation and against death. It is absolutely stupefying in its terror. And it renders anyone's accomplishments, accomplishments meaningless. As I understand it, Allen was an atheist too. Why does death cause such fear? Is it just a natural emotion that we feel to help us survive and our ancestors survive better when they fear death? Or is it because we're not supposed to live in a world where death reigns and death came because of sin, as the Bible says. And until sin is dealt with, Jesus comes and he dies, deals with our sin, rises, deals with death, promises us a world without death. Does that want to make more sense? It's not crazy, I don't think, to believe that. Which leads to my final point. A man in history that you cannot shut up. And there's other talks on this about the Bible and things. Jesus enters history claiming to be God. He walks on earth, people meet him, talk with him, chat with him, and he says things like this. He's not on the screen, excuse me. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What kind of nutter says that kind of stuff? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows, follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. No one has ever been able to shut the nutter up. C.S. Lewis said, you've got to make your call. He's mad, he's bad, or he's God. He's not a moral teacher. He's not a nice guy that walks history and said nice things. He's a nutter. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. He's mad. 
He's, 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 you know, he's, he's not quite there. He's bad, he's out to deceive you. Well, he is God. You have to make your choice. So Jesus is claiming to be the answer to all these things. He says, I'm the arbor of truth. I give you that greater understanding of that greater world you're meant for. I answer the pursuit of satisfaction and me you will be satisfied. I reveal why the world is not right because we have a problem of sin and death which he came to deal with. He provides the basis of morality. Love neighbor, love, love God, love your neighbor. He calms our fears about death and says, if you know me, you don't have to fear death. But most of all, he makes these dramatic claims and no one's ever been able to shut him up. 21st century Dublin, we're still talking about him. So why is belief in God not crazy? But there are my eight reasons. Oh, there's the most. Statistics tell us that the world is becoming more theistic. An honest look at the nature and scope of science, it can only do so much. It's wonderful. An awareness of something missing, a pursuit of satisfaction we cannot obtain, a nagging feeling that something is wrong with our world, a moral compass that just won't go away, a fear of death we cannot shake off, a man in history cannot shut up. I don't think belief in God is crazy. I think it's very reasonable, very rational. I'm sure many of you might disagree with me. Thanks for coming, but that's what I think.